Last week we began looking and we kind of took an overview of the death of Ben-Hadad, the Syrian king. How Elisha just happened to be in Syria when, when Ben-Hadad gets sick. And he asks, shall I recover from this disease? And Ben-Hadad asks one of his servants to go and talk to Elisha. And as he talks to him, Elisha gives him the news that, yes, you will recover from this disease, but not really. For you will really surely die. And he dies at the hand of his servant, who Hazael, who brings the news back to Benedad. Yes, you're going to recover. And as he begins to recover the very next day, Hazael, his servant, who brought the news back, killed Ben-Hadad in cold blood. And he took the kingdom that Ben-Hadad had, had ruled and reigned over. And we're going to notice in the next couple of weeks that at the end of Elisha's ministry, he ends up doing a lot of this, telling wicked kings and queens and princes, you know, your time is up, your reign is over. We are going to watch as uh, Ahab's family also suffers a similar fate to that of Ben-Hadad. And so we look at sometimes God punishes people. And as kind of an introduction this morning, as we look at, begin to look at the types of chastening that God puts into our life, the first thing I'd like us to kind of think about is I've got kind of an example of this. For 20, 20 summers, you know, this morning I prayed for uh, the camps. For 20 summers, I worked up at Path of Life Camp, and a big part of that ministry, and a big part of the things that I used to do was, and one of the things I enjoyed was working with the horses. I talked about that in Sunday school this morning. And I've got three types of chastening that I put down that God has in our lives, and we're going to talk about those in a moment. But I remember one, I said this in Sunday school today. My goal for those horses was that a kid could come. You know, a six-year-old kid could come and could ride them. An eight-year-old could ride around the corral and have a good time. Or they could ride them around, stop them in the middle of the corral. And that horse would just, they could just drop the reins and the horse could wait patiently. And get off. Now, I remember when I first started, that wasn't the case with a lot of the horses. They'd take them out into the arena and they'd run around and they want to run right back to the barn as fast as they could. I heard someone describe that as being barn sour the other day. And I wanted to break those horses of that because I wanted little little kids to ride these things. That was big. That was important to me. I wanted them to be safe. You know, doing that, making that the goal... It wasn't just a matter of throwing a kid on a horse and going out there and saying, giddy up and go let him. That, that wouldn't be a safe thing at all. And so I spent a lot of time working on that. And I thought about that. I've got three types of chastening. I'm going to have them up on the screen in a minute. One of them is internal chastening. The quiet moments when God speaks to you about something and says, you need to make a difference in your life. One of them is external chastening. When God might do something to get your attention. And the final one is terminal chasing. You know, I think God 
would like us as believers in Christ to kind of be like one of those horses that I would work, work with. That they would be able to be out in the middle of the corral and work with a child and be able to teach them and have them have a great time and to have the strength and gentleness of being peaceful, but at the same time, a power that could pull a wagon with 30 people on it or could pull logs through the woods. And I think that that's what God would desire from each and every single one of us as Christians. And so, you know, the the most time I ever spent with a horse was on the day that they were born in the first couple weeks of their life. I used to, you know, try to make sure that on day one, they knew how to pick their feet up and, and just handle and just give me their feet without even thinking about it. If they knew how to back up, if they knew how to stand and be tied without going crazy, if they knew how to move left, move right, and stop and be patient. That was important to me. And it was those little lessons that I, I felt were most, most important. And if you could, if you could get it to, through to a horse in the first year of their life, the rest of their life was, was a piece of cake. I had this horse Buttons. I, I love Buttons. You know, I was up there the other day at the camp, and Buttons is still so peaceful, calm, and quiet. And I remember teaching her those lessons, and, and she was the only little foal that I had at the time. I spent a lot of time with her, and she learned, taught her how to yield, and how came time for her to ride. I didn't hop on her back because she was a little pony, one of the littlest horses that I had. And so that day I knew she was calm, she was quiet, and it's the first time I ever wanted to put somebody on her. I had spent so much time teaching her to yield, and I think my son here was about 12 years old, 10, 10 to 12, something like that. They said, Silas, hop on. And I didn't worry for a second. First time he wrote, and he, before the end of the day, he's riding around doing everything that he needed to do with a horse, this little kid. And it came because of simple little instructions from day one. I, I had other horses that sometimes needed external chastening. I had one rascal. Oh, rascal was a rascal. I blame Charlie Clark. He named that horse rascal on day one. And he was that way ever for the rest of his life. And rascal had this thing every once in a while, like once a week. He'd go out in the middle of a trail ride, and I don't know what his problem was, but he would get tired, and he'd just sit down on the trail ride. I mean, I know it sounds like a horse would lay down, but that's not what Rascal did. Rascal took his time. It took about a half an hour for him to do it, but he would sit down on the trail ride. And the kid would usually just step off. So at that moment, it became, okay, you cowboy, you need to ride Rascal for the rest of the, the day. Because if we didn't have a cowboy ride him, he'd just sit down on every trail ride. But if you put some cowboy on him that would say, you know, keep moving, he would get the picture and he'd keep moving and keep moving. And he'd put that problem out of his life for a week or two until he realized that children were on his back again and he could get away with that type of thing. Then the third problem was, is if you had a, a horse, and I had a couple of them over the years where you would do everything in your power to try and make them calm and quiet. And you could get, I, I was convinced that I could 
make any horse okay for me, but getting a horse okay for a child was sometimes a too difficult task. Because it wouldn't take very long before that, that horse was up to shenanigans again and would do things that were inappropriate. I had one Remington. Remington was a troublemaker all the while. I'd call the horses to come in the morning to get their food, and he would run the other direction. I would uh, put the food in his manger. He'd throw it out and then try to climb over the top of the manger to get it on the other side. <laughs> go on trail rides, and, and if I wasn't riding him, then he'd try and turn back and go to the barn. Remington didn't last very long. After a year or two of that monkey business, I decided it was time to sell him. He was not appropriate for work in the barn with the children. And I think about God and the way he looks at us. We need to be sensitive to the master. We need to listen to him. And sometimes he's going to chasten us. But let me tell you what. On the first day, when I would spend that relationship time with a horse, never had any misgivings about them. When I would teach them to hold their feet in the air and to back up and to stop and be patient, they might not have liked it, but I had their best interest in heart, and I liked them. I had no, no ill will against them. Rascal, as much as he was a problem, uh, he'd do his little sit-down thing. On I liked him. He was a good horse. Didn't really have a problem. I can't ever remember him doing anything besides that. Just that little thing where he'd sit down in the middle of a trail ride. So slow and so peaceful. But that's what he did. And he needed a little bit of correction. When he got that correction, no, no ill will towards him. But I wanted him to stop doing that behavior. It was wrong. It was inappropriate. And he needed to get it fixed. So it was time to fix it. But even when I think about Remington, I enjoyed riding Remington. I did not enjoy his antics. I did not enjoy the things that he did wrong. But as far as a horse, I enjoyed riding him. I enjoyed it when he did come into the barn to get his food in the morning. But um, there came a time where I said, this can't keep going on. I need horses that will work with children. And if you're a horse that can't work with children, I don't care if I've had you since day one, it's time for you to go. And I had to make that decision a couple of times. I think God works the same way with us. And so this morning as we take a look through God's word, I want to look at and I want to talk about the way God chastens us. The first one is by internal chastening. God speaks to us by his word and spirit. This is, this is the kind of way that you want to be instructed by the Lord and you want to make a difference in your life. When God says to you in your heart, in your spirit, what you are doing is inappropriate. It's wrong. And you decide at that moment, you'll make a change. If you are sensitive to internal chastening by the Lord, and you can be like buttons. You know, that, that little horse that can be used in such an amazing way. And God can get the glory through you in, in 
and what you are able to accomplish. You can be sensitive to his spirit and you can be used in a great and mighty way. So the first thing that I think we need to do is if we're going to be sensitive to God's internal chastening, is we need to, like James 1.22 says, listen and obey his word. Let's open our Bibles to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. In James chapter 1 and verse 22, it says, But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in the mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not forgetful here, but a doer of the word, this one will be blessed in what he does. Every morning I hope that you pick up your Bible and you take the opportunity to read it each morning. When you do, and you see that God is beginning to talk to you and says, there is something wrong in your life. Do you make a change? Are you sensitive to this book? You shouldn't need a pastor or a friend or um, someone to come alongside of you and tell you that you're doing wrong. This book should, should make that apparent to you. Now, I know that many times we do need someone or something to come along in our lives and to tell us that what we are doing is wrong. But this book has the answers. And it's better if we listen to this book and, and hear what it says. I love the analogy that we have from the book of James. It's like if you look in the mirror in the morning and you see what's going on and you don't fix it. I know some of us guys, we'd like to just walk away without you know making doing our hair or shaving or something, but it's important that we do, that we see what's wrong and we make a change. Another thing that I think that we need to, as we think about internal chastening, if you love Christ, you need to obey Him. If you have a relationship with Him, you need to be sensitive to what He says. And the words that we read in the Word of God and His Spirit that talks through us. In John chapter 14, and verse 23, it says, Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words. And the words which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Yet the Bible says there, Jesus says quite clearly, if you love Jesus Christ, if you claim to be a follower of Christ, you will obey him. And when he says something to you, you will listen. And also in John chapter 16, I really feel that we live in a very, very special time. And in John chapter 16, we read about the gift of the Holy Spirit. And how we have the Spirit of God, the coming comforter, the helper, the paraclete that teaches us and guides us in the way that we ought to go. In John chapter 16, verses 7 and 8, it says, 
Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. So not only does the Holy Spirit teach us what is right and wrong, no matter that we have the example of Christ to know if we are following him, we will do right instead of doing what is wrong. But also, when we begin to head astray, we live in this special time of the church where Jesus Christ promised that after he died on the cross and rose again, he would send that Holy Spirit to live in you and to say, this is right. Do right. Or this is wrong. Stop doing that. Make a change in your life. And we need to be sensitive to these three things so that the slightest thought from the word of God makes a change in our heart to do what is right. So that knowing and looking at Jesus Christ, we we talk kind of uh, flippantly about what would Jesus do? But the truth of the matter is, is that if we look at our lives and they do not conform to the image of the son of God, we need to make a change. And the third thing that God has given us is the Spirit of God to say, you need to make a change in your life. You need to do something differently. Not only do we have internal chastening, where God speaks quietly and softly, and in a direct approach to help us make a change, but we also have something that God might use a little bit more indirectly, external chastening. This might take the form of hardship, trials, persecution, financial loss, accident, sickness, or rejection. I have heard on more than one occasion a father say, God, please, I want my child to be doing what's right. And they're heading in the wrong direction. God, will you please Do whatever is necessary in order to bring my child back to you or to save my child's soul. I think that sometimes God needs to get our attention. Now, I've read the whole counsel of God. The whole counsel of God. And I know that not not every time a problem falls into your life. Is it God chastening you or punishing you? I, I, don't, I hesitate to use that word because I look at this as God putting problems and difficulties in our life to, to change the direction in which we should go so that we are back on track following him. Yes, sometimes it is punishment. But sometimes it's just getting things to wake us up And I've read the whole counsel of God, and I know that not every problem is for that purpose. Look at the life of Joseph. Look at the life of Job. Look at at the blind man in John chapter 9. Sometimes God puts those trials and difficulties in our life so he can get the glory. But there are also times, look at the life of King David. Look at the life of Achan, who we talked about this morning. Look at Nadab and Abihu and Ananias and Sapphira. 
where problems and difficulties and situations come into your life because you are going in the wrong direction. And God wants and desires to put a stop to it, to get you heading back in the right direction. In Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 and 6, it says, And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged. When you are rebuked by him for whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. So as I read that passage of scripture, I know that sometimes when I am feeling that external chastening of the Lord, you know, things are coming into my life where God is going, I'm trying to get your attention. Not that that's not because God doesn't love you. I think about, you know, all that time I spent with those horses. I, I never got on a horse and rode them and taught them discipline because I didn't care about them. And it was the ones that responded to discipline the, le- the best that got the most use, that were the most useful to me. And the ones that, that you know, actually I spent the least amount of time riding and, and correcting. Sometimes the ones that were dearest to my heart were the ones that I had to spend the most time working with. And they eventually got the program. And they could do some neat things. Don't make light of the Lord's discipline. Just because you feel like God's trying to get your attention, that's not a bad thing. Maybe God has a great big plan for you. This morning, the last type I'd like to talk about is terminal chasing. And I leave that with, as to you guys as a warning. I'd like us to turn over in our Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And I'll preface this by saying in Acts chapter 5, in 2 Kings, what we're reading about in the life of Ahab's family and Ben-Hadad, as we look at Jezebel and Ahab and Jezebel's children and what's going to happen to them. I look back to Numbers chapter 3 and verse 4. I read about this strange verse that says Nadab and, about Nadab and Abihu. I believe that God set a precedent in his word that sometimes God may remove people from this world. Terminal chastening. Where one may die prematurely because God is protecting this world from, and his church may, from something awful. Protecting an individual when they have become no worldly good. I'm not saying that every, I am by no means saying that everyone who passes away, they are being punished by God. Not at all. As a matter of fact, um, I don't think that's usually the case. I think that this is something that happens seldom. But the truth of the matter is, is that sometimes God's chasing. Like in the story of 
Ananias and Sapphira that we read in our Bible reading this morning. Like in the story of Nadab and Abihu. Sometimes God says, in order to take care of this situation, I need to remove you completely. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 4 and 5 say, In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together, along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 6 it says, Your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? And as I read through the scriptures, I see that sometimes this is what God decides. And all of these types of chastening, whether it be internal, external, or or terminal chastening, God is the one who is behind this. It's his prerogative and it's important to him. As I look at this, these things that we've looked at today, I know that they're heavy. But I ask you to examine your hearts. You who have been saved by Jesus Christ. And you believe in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. If you don't, we had communion this morning to talk about how you could deal with your sin problem, how you could become a born-again Christian. Well, Christian, have you drifted away from the Lord? I'd encourage you first to listen to his internal chastening. Is he speaking to your heart and saying, you need to make a change. You need, you need to begin coming back to me. Listen to my word. Listen to Christ. Listen to the Spirit. Maybe, believer, things aren't going right and you feel that external chastening from the Lord. You notice that the Lord is working on your heart. Maybe things aren't going that great. And maybe you're like, this is God trying to wake me up, trying to get my attention. Don't despise the chastening of the Lord. Come running back to him. And believer. Let me beg you, don't ignore those two things. Don't ignore the voice of the Lord. Learn from the story of Ananias and Sapphira, from Nadab and Abihu, that our God deals with sin. His desire is to correct it. And his reason and his purpose in correcting it is so that he can use you For his kingdom in a great and mighty way. Let's pray. Dear only Father, I thank you and I praise you for your chastening. It says there in Hebrews, Christian, don't despise the chastening of the Lord. Your purpose, your plan is to get us back on the path so that we can serve you. So we can do great things in your name. I pray that if there's someone today who's hearing your voice, 
who wants to submit to the call of Scripture, who who feels that external chastening, that, Lord, you're trying to get their attention. I pray that you might help them do business with you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.